The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles this evening, if you would, and look at 1 Corinthians with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be there for just a moment, and eventually we'll make it to another text that I'll just give you in a second here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 24 and 25, good to see you here tonight. What a blessing it is to see God's people gather together on a Sunday night to gather around the Lord's table. It's one of the most beautiful things we do, one of the most powerful things we do. Um, It is good for us, it is good for the church to come together and remember the Lord like this tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know the verses well. Let me just read them again for you and to remind you of what they say. And then to take a little different direction this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse number 24. And we had given thanks, speaking of the Lord, he brake it, the bread, and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And we gather tonight around the Lord's table, and this service is all about him, in remembrance of him. And this should be no surprise to us, because the whole Bible is about him. Truly, from cover to cover, every story whispers his name. We begin in Genesis, and we see that in Genesis, the promise comes that one is coming of the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, and in the crushing, he would be wounded himself. We see clearly a picture of Christ. We work our way through the entire Bible. We come to Revelation, the last chapter, chapter 22, and it tells us, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And so as we look at this Bible that we have, whether directly, indirectly, symbolically, we see and hear Christ. Christ. From the ark that saved Noah, to Isaac being the son to give his life, to the Passover, the scapegoat, the tabernacle itself, and the high priest. We see it all in Christ. And and this is just something that I found quite fascinating myself as I was thinking about this service and thinking about our Lord and how every story does whisper and shout his name. We start in a garden with the first Adam. The first Adam completely failed. God had given him a task, given him assignments. He was to keep, to guard, to defend to have dominion over the earth, to be obedient, and he failed. And in his failing, there was, he was covered with shame, and he hid himself from the presence of God. God, in his kindness, not willing to completely reject Adam and Eve in their sinful disobedience, takes the life of something that's innocent, sheds its blood, makes a covering for Adam, and Adam then is covered in a righteousness that is not his own. The curse comes into effect. The ground is cursed. We see the thorns displayed in that fall. We saw that vividly a few months ago when Brother Rick shared that with us. The thorns are there. The fall is in effect. And Adam is driven from the garden. Now think with me. The second Adam. second Adam perfectly obeys his father. He does those things that always please him. He is completely obedient, and yet 
he is condemned to die stripped, naked, and ashamed. No place to hide. No covering for him. Where Adam had failed, he stepped in. The thorns are placed upon his brow. He bears the curse. And three days later, of all places for the son to be resurrected, he is resurrected in a garden. Strange, isn't it? Now, now that might not mean much to you on the surface, um, but there's something there. In John chapter 20, verse 15, we have the story of the resurrection, and Mary is there. And you know the story, that she's there, she's weeping, the body's gone, and she sees Jesus, who she doesn't recognize, and she thinks him to be the gardener. Can I ask you a question? Why would anyone think anyone to be a gardener? I mean, do you just walk down the street and see people say, oh, he's a gardener? Why would you think someone would be a gardener? Because they're gardening, right? Isn't it strange that when the first Adam failed and was cast out of a garden, the second Adam is victorious. And the first thing that he does is he gets to work and starts to garden and starts to make his creation what it was designed to be. Can I tell you something? Um, If you were making this story up, you couldn't come up with a better story than that to bring it full circle, that we have the first Adam in the fall, and the second Adam comes, he takes the curse, he takes the fall, he, he sheds his blood, naked and ashamed, he bears the wrath of God, he is a propitiation, he is the sacrifice, and then when he's resurrected, the first thing he does as the second Adam is to start to garden. I think it's beautiful, I really do. It thrills my heart to see the love and kindness of God to give us that picture. But I don't want to stop there today. We could probably go on and on. But let me direct your attention now to Isaiah chapter 53 this evening. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time in the next few moments. Isaiah 53. I want you to do something for me tonight. Um, As I read this, I'm going to read the whole chapter, just 12 verses. I want you to pretend, if you can, that you've never heard this before, that that this is completely new to you, you've never heard it before, and you've been given an assignment, and the assignment is this. As you read these 12 verses, can you guess who this is? So let's just pretend you have never seen this before, and I know you have, but let's pretend you haven't. And I want you to listen, and as you listen, if this was fresh to you, if this was new to you, if you weren't even a Christian, Who would you guess this to be? Verse number one of Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes 
we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Do you want to guess? If you had never heard that before, if you, you, if you, if you weren't a member of a church, but you knew of some stories, who would you guess that the writer of Isaiah may be talking about. Very good. Are you the only person that understood that, Kim, that it was, all right, it was Jesus, right? Is that obvious? Is there anyone that said, hmm, that could be Muhammad? Not sure. That might be Buddha. Not sure. No, it's obvious. It's obvious, so obvious that it's Jesus that it almost blows our mind that Isaiah, writing 700 years before Christ, could write this. And let me tell you something. Even the skeptic out there, would say, certainly that is Jesus Christ. We understand that. There's no way around it. But here's what they've done for years. They said, we, we know that's talking about Jesus, but there's no way Isaiah, 700 years before his birth, could ever pin it like that. What must have happened is this. Some Christians must have got the, the writings and the scripture and changed Isaiah 53 after the death because there's no way you could write that 700 years before his birth. And get all the facts straight. And skeptics and unbelievers and atheists have believed that for years. Until about 1946. Yeah. Little boy named Mohammed. Out in the Israeli desert. In a place near Qumran. Finds seven jarred scrolls. They're sealed. They're the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he finds them, and the long story short, they, they find these scrolls that, that they date 200 years before the birth of Christ. They're sealed, 200 years. And in these scrolls, are, there's a fragment of every book in the Old Testament, with the exception of Esther, right? Esther may have not been included with this community because she was married to a pagan king. But every other book, there are fragments of there. And lo and behold, they find the scroll of Isaiah chapter 53. And so the skeptic and the unbeliever says, wonderful, now we will show you that the Christian has manipulated the scriptures, it can't say the same thing, it was written 700 years before his birth. And do you know what they found when they found that Isaiah scroll, Isaiah 53, which was a copy of Isaiah, written 200 years before the birth of Christ. 
they found it to read just like I read it a minute ago. But God, but God, in the face of centuries mocking and, and, and humiliating and saying, what a hoax it is. Now we have the proof that says Isaiah wrote this 700 years before the birth of Christ, and he nails every, every, everything in there. It is Jesus Christ. And we should thank God for that. And so that was just extra. It meant something to me. But now listen, I want you to look at Isaiah 53, because in Isaiah 53, 700 years before Christ, Isaiah gives us the why of the crucifixion. In this passage of Scripture, Isaiah 53, as they look at the suffering of the Messiah, they say, certainly he is suffering for his own evil. He has to be sinful. He has to be wicked. No one should suffer like this who is righteous. And you look what Isaiah says in verse number 4 through verse number 6. He starts and says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem him smitten, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his peace, of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah gives us the why of the Messiah. He was not punished for his own sins. He was perfect. He was obedient. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we must remember this. There's this movement in Christianity that says, well, Jesus just came to make your life better, and you add him, and and you'll have all your wildest dreams come true, and he came just to make every day a Friday. No, he came because men and women were sinful under the wrath of God, under condemnation, and he came not for his own sins, he came for our sins. He shed and died, he shed his blood and died for you and for me this evening. And when the doctrine of Christ, this idea of, of bearing the sins of many, is left out of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is no longer the gospel, it's another gospel. And it's a gospel that does not have the power to save. Because Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, was buried, and rose again, not for his sins, but for mine and for yours. And Isaiah tells us tonight, as we remember, he died for your sins. He died for mine. He made the atonement. And then this is interesting as we gauge now our attention and draw our attention to the Lord's Supper, the who of this great sacrifice. Look at verse number 11 of Isaiah 53. And he says, He shall see the travail of his soul, the fruit of his hard labor, the grievous suffering. Christ, the Messiah, will see the travail of his soul. And then look what he says next. And shall be satisfied. Satisfied. Satisfied, why? Because by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. This was done, this justification was done for you and for me. And it was not in vain. What Christ set out to accomplish on the cross, it was accomplished. It was not in vain. Um, theologians will call this efficacious, that it accomplished the task or the desired effect. 
And that's what the cross of Christ did. Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross and, and endured the pain, endured the grief, endured the mocking, endured the shame, endured all of it, was satisfied. Why? Because in his death, his burial and resurrection, he brought many people to justification. And so this evening, if you want to know the who of this sacrifice, it's you. It's me. But on the cross, in his travail, he was satisfied. Why? Because he could look forward to a time when every tongue, tribe, and nation would call on his name, find forgiveness of sins, and reconciliation to God. And we gather together tonight as a witness of the truth of that scripture. The truth of it. He justified many. There's so many scriptures we could talk about tonight, about um, every tongue, tribe, and nation coming. Look at Daniel chapter 9. But I want you to know something. As we sit here in this auditorium tonight, ready to, to, to gather around the Lord's table, and all that we've heard tonight, and, and, and the promise that Christ would have a people from every tongue, tribe, nation, kindred, you look around tonight, and they're all here. Every background, I mean, German, French, Italian, Dutch, Frisian, um, Lebanese, whatever, however far it goes, right? It's here. And Christ has fulfilled the task. And someday we'll bring it to fruition. And my friend, we, we come together to gather on this table to remember him, looking forward to the day when we will finally gather on that table. And the Lord himself will serve us. And he will be our God. And we will be his people. And so tonight we come to remember. And, and I want you to remember. And I hope tonight as we've looked at the scripture, as we've seen from cover to cover, every story whispers his name. And may we, in the quietness of the next few moments, whisper his name. Just thank him for his sacrifice. He died not for himself. He died for the sins of others. And when he saw the travail of his soul, he was satisfied. It was efficacious. It accomplished its purposes. And it brought many sons and daughters back into fellowship with the God of heaven. And we're thankful for that tonight. At this time, I'll ask the men to join me as we prepare to serve the Lord's table this evening.